We couldn't understand a thing Jenny was saying. Her voice was dark and low. It was as if she was speaking another language. She suddenly and violently grabbed Carrie's hair. She was pulling so hard you could hear it tearing. James and I tried to hold her down, and he screamed out loud. Jenny had bitten right into his shoulder, so hard that blood was dripping down his arm. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, I want to thank you for listening. And if you really like my stories and would like to show your support, you can buy me a coffee. Just go to the website, buymeacoffee.com slash myparanormal, and you can literally buy me a coffee. And hopefully, the caffeine will help me with making more episodes real soon. Thanks again for your support. As I was thinking about other stories to tell, I started listening to some of my own past episodes. And one of your favorites was the very first one I made called The House on Cemetery Street. It was a hard one for me to listen to because it was my first podcast ever and it had plenty of flaws in it. But as I was listening to that episode and some others, I started remembering other stories that I had totally forgotten about. And one of those stories took place in that house on Cemetery Street. And to this day, I'm still not sure what it was I experienced that one particular night, but I'm pretty sure it was a possession. At the time it happened, I had no idea what a possession even looked like. My only experience with possessions was from movies like The Exorcist. You know, levitating girls and pea soup everywhere. Even in my years as a paranormal investigator, I had never come across a case of human possession. But through my many years of studying all things paranormal, I have read quite a bit about it. Just about every major religion in the world believes in some idea of possession, and stories of people being possessed go back thousands of years. It's something humans have believed in for a very long time. But is it a real thing? With today's knowledge of health and science, it's likely that most possessions are just a case of mental illness or a bad reaction to chemicals or drugs. And while I've never come across a case of possession while investigating the paranormal, I do think I may have experienced one back in that house on Cemetery Street. If you recall from that first episode, myself and many others had several experiences with a spirit in that house, the old man in the black hat. It was without a doubt a haunted house with an unhappy presence living in it. But is it possible that that spirit, or perhaps a different spirit, tried to possess one of my roommates? It was early on a Thursday night in the late summer, and I was at work when I got a text message from my roommate James. He said that he had just gotten home from work and found our other roommate, Jenny, laying on the couch, passed out, with no clothes on. 
Obviously, this wasn't something she had ever done before or would ever do, living with three male roommates. To be honest, she usually just kept to herself in her bedroom when she was home. James went on to say it looked like she'd been drinking a little. The bottle of whiskey that he keeps on top of the refrigerator for special occasions was now on the counter with the cap off. It appeared as if Jenny may have taken a drink or two. But the strange thing is, Jenny never drank the hard stuff. She would have a few beers or some mixed drinks with friends, but she wasn't the type to do shots at home alone and end up passed out naked in the living room. And she knew better than to drink James's whiskey without asking. We all did. From what he was telling me, I figured maybe Jenny went out for drinks with friends or something, came home tipsy, decided to have a shot or two, and then passed out on the couch. I told James to cover her up with a blanket and let her sleep it off. A short time later, he texted me again. Jenny's awake now, and she's acting really strange, he said. He went on to tell me that she was breathing heavy, like she was angry about something. And she was throwing things around the house, knocking stuff off the table, off of shelves. And he kept asking her what was wrong, and she would just yell obscenities at him. Some that didn't even make sense. It was so bad that he even considered calling an ambulance. I told him that I was almost done at work and to just wait for me, I'd be home in like 20 minutes. When I got there, I walked in the door and there was stuff everywhere. I mean, magazines, pictures, pretty much anything that was hanging on a shelf or on a table had been knocked over and thrown to the floor. But it was quiet. James was sitting in his chair watching the hockey game and Jenny was on the couch sleeping under a blanket. James said that after those few minutes of rage, for no apparent reason, Jenny collapsed back down on the couch and went back to sleep. So he covered her up with the blanket and waited for me to come home. When I went over to check on her, I could tell she was still breathing heavy. And she was sweating too, like she had just run a marathon. So I shook her a little and tried to wake her up. She opened her eyes a little bit and looked up at me. Her face was red and she looked very tired. I asked her, are you okay? And she replied in her usual calm voice, yeah, I think so. I'm just really tired. What happened, I said. Did you go out drinking or something? I don't know, she replied softly. And closed her eyes and went back to sleep. I mean, she seemed to be okay to me, but was definitely either sick or had had too much to drink. So I pulled the blanket up higher to her neck, hoping that she'd sleep it off. It wasn't the first time I'd had to take care of someone who was drunk. So I went into the kitchen to get her a bottle of water and a bucket, since I figured we might be needing that soon. And I noticed the bottle of whiskey was still on the counter. So I put the cap back on and put it back on top of the refrigerator. But everything else in the kitchen seemed to be in order. I grabbed the water from the fridge and the bucket from under the sink and went back into the living room. And James was in his chair with a frightened look on his face. I looked towards the couch and Jenny was sitting straight up and staring straight ahead at the wall. She looked like a zombie. Her face was beet red and she was breathing like an animal about to attack. I put the bottle of water on the coffee table in front of her and the bucket on the floor 
and it was as if she didn't even know I was there. Her eyes never moved. I asked her, are you okay? Are you going to be sick? And she turned towards me in almost like a mechanical motion and said in a low, deep voice, fuck you. I stepped back and was like, okay. And James was like, see, I told you she was acting weird. As she sat there staring straight ahead at the wall, I slowly tried to cover her up with the blanket again. Other than her erratic breathing, she didn't even move. But I told James, keep an eye on her, as I went downstairs to her bedroom to look around. She wasn't acting like a normal drunk person to me. There was something more going on. So I thought maybe she took some medication or something and decided to have a drink at the same time and it was just having some kind of a reaction to the mix. I searched around her bedroom to see what I could find. Now Jenny wasn't the type to do drugs of any kind. Other than normal stuff like aspirin for a headache or medicine for allergies, she wouldn't do drugs. But I checked her desk, her bed, her trash barrel thinking maybe I'd find a wrapper or a bottle something that could explain what's going on. I couldn't find anything. I went back upstairs to the bathroom, looked around there too, but still no evidence of anything unusual. Suddenly the doorbell rang. I opened the door and it was Jenny's friend, Kerry. Apparently James had texted her too when Jenny was acting funny, so she decided to come over and check on her herself. Kerry would be at the house a lot anyway. She was practically like another roommate. And I was glad she was there. You know, Jenny was like a sister to us, but having a female helping with this situation still made it feel a lot better. We explained to her what had happened. At this point, Jenny was lying on the couch again, but still breathing heavy and sweating. Kerry went over and checked on her, but there was no response. So she went downstairs to Jenny's bedroom to get her some clothes, grabbed her a t-shirt, some shorts, but when she came back upstairs, Jenny wouldn't budge. So Carrie just made sure she was covered up with the blanket and sat down on the floor up against the couch near Jenny's head. We all sat in the living room quietly, talking softly, hoping that Jenny would just sleep off whatever it is that was wrong with her. As we all sat there, Carrie would occasionally turn and check on Jenny. She would gently push her hair back out of her face or softly stroke her cheek. I started to feel like things were going to be okay. But a few minutes later, things went from okay to much, much worse. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Jenny opened her eyes and started to mumble something that we couldn't understand. She had a low, deep, raspy kind of a voice. When Carrie turned to ask her if she was okay, Jenny grabbed her by the hair and started pulling her as she sat up on the couch. And with that full fist of hair, Jenny was pulling so hard it was like she had a doll or something, and you could hear it tearing in her hands. Carrie was screaming in pain. I jumped up and yelled, Jenny, let her go, you're, you're hurting her. And she just started yelling back at me in that low, deep voice. I just couldn't understand anything she was saying. It almost sounded like a foreign language or just some kind of gibberish. With her other hand, she violently swept the bottle of water off the coffee table, splashing it everywhere. Before I knew it, James and I were wrestling with Jenny. 
doing our best to try and hold her down against the couch and, and get her to let go of Carrie. But her strength was unbelievable. It was all we could do to hold her down. We pinned her against the back of the couch and suddenly James let out a loud, blood-curling scream. Jenny had bitten down onto his shoulder, so hard that blood was dripping down his arm. And she wasn't letting go. I had to pull her head off of him and push her back against the couch. Then she tried to bite me. So I pushed her head back with the heel of my palm, just under her chin, and held her back. And I thought for sure she was going to bite one of my fingers off. She fought and she fought, all while speaking in that deep voice, swearing at us and speaking gibberish. I noticed that her eyes had rolled back into her head, and it was like we were fighting a monster. For like ten minutes, two grown men could just barely hold her down. Finally, though, she tired and her body became limp, and then she just suddenly stopped fighting us. She let go of Carrie's hair and slumped over. James took off his tank top and wrapped it around his arm to stop the bleeding. You could literally see the teeth marks from Jenny's mouth in his skin. And Carrie was crying, holding the top of her head, checking to see if there was blood. I couldn't believe how strong Jenny was through the whole thing. I knew we couldn't go through that again. So I ran into the kitchen and called 911. And in no time, an ambulance showed up at the house. Out on the front deck, I explained to the paramedics what had happened. When they went inside and took a look at her, they said that they'd have to wait for the police to get there before they could do anything. After a couple of minutes, the police quickly arrived, and I was telling one of the police officers what happened. In the meantime, the paramedics were bringing a stretcher in to carry Jenny out on. But as they tried to get her up, she started to freak out again. She was groaning and moaning and yelling in that deep voice, and she, she started spitting and, and flailing around. The two police officers rushed over and tried to subdue her, and she was fighting them and, and giving them a good fight too. But they finally pinned her onto the floor and handcuffed her arms. And then they handcuffed her feet as well, because she just kept trying to kick them. I was in shock as to what I was seeing. They somehow managed to get her onto the stretcher and strapped her down. Then the paramedics gave her a shot of something, and that calmed her down pretty quick. And as they were carrying her out to the ambulance, one of the police officers started questioning me. He wanted to know what kind of drugs she was on. I explained to him that she didn't do drugs, and that I'd already searched the whole house to see if she did. Other than those maybe a couple of sips of whiskey, she wasn't on anything that I knew of. For some reason, he didn't seem to believe me. But I told him he was welcome to search the house if he wanted. But he didn't. The ambulance took off towards the hospital, and once the police were done filling out their report and repeating most of their questions over and over again, they left. James put on a new shirt, and he, Carrie, and myself jumped into the car, and we headed off to the hospital. We sat in the waiting room until well past midnight. All the nurses could tell us was that Jenny was doing fine. She's sedated and resting. Eventually, though, they told us we should just all go home, that they were going to keep her overnight. So I gave the nurse my cell phone number, asked her to call me if anything changed with Jenny's condition or if she was going to be discharged so that I could come and pick her up. But the next day, they discharged Jenny without even calling me. They gave her clothes from the lost and found and a bus pass. 
She didn't know anyone's cell phone number by heart, so she had to take the bus, and I guess the nurses lost my number. Either way, though, when she got home, Jenny called me at work to tell me that she was okay. She had a headache, was really tired, but that she was fine. She said the nurses told her that no one was sure what was wrong with her or what had happened. They chalked it up to a bad reaction, I guess. I asked her if she remembered what had happened, and she said she had no memory at all. The last thing she remembered was coming home that night before a couple of drinks with some friends, and then she lied down on the couch for a nap. She had no memory of going into the kitchen, drinking the whiskey, taking her clothes off, and she definitely didn't remember pulling Carrie's hair or biting James on the shoulder. She couldn't even believe all the things I was telling her. It was as if I was making it up. Even when James showed her the bite mark on his arm, she couldn't believe it and had no memory of any of it. And it wasn't until years later that I thought about this night and wondered, was it a bad reaction to something? Was she just drunk? Or was Jenny possessed by an evil spirit that night in the house on Cemetery Street? My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash myparanormal, or just click on the donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. I also have t-shirts and coffee mugs for sale. Unfortunately, podcasts cost money and your support helps me keep this podcast running. So thank you for your support. Please don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when I've added new episodes and feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for My Paranormal Story. If you have a podcast and you'd like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question or tell me your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is My Paranormal Story.